Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. Today is episode 26, and we have another special guest, Dave Rendell, and the title of the episode today is The Freak Factor, Discovering Uniqueness by Flaunting Weakness. That's actually also the title of Dave's first book, The Freak Factor. Have you ever wondered what to do about your weaknesses and the things that make you weird? Well, our special guest today, Dave, is going to answer that question with a simple invitation. Embrace your weird and actually exaggerate it. Dave is an amazing speaker. He's the author of four books. He's a former professor, former comedian, and he is well-known throughout the world, yes, throughout the world, as the freak factor. Dave's going to share with us today the magic that we all possess when we choose to leverage and embrace our weaknesses. Most important, Dave's going to give you insights and very specific strategies to help you innovate, create, and disrupt. So get ready to be freaked out with Dave Rendell. Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. I am. And Craig always kids me because I always say I'm excited, but today I'm going to go with thrilled. I'm thrilled with our guest today, friend, fellow speaker, and self-proclaimed freak. Uh, Dave Rendell is a speaker and author of four books. Uh, One of them, which we're going to talk about today, is The Freak Factor. Uh, Interesting background, he's a former college professor, former comedian, and very recently was anointed. That's the word I'll go with. (laughs) As a certified speaking professional, a CSP, that I'm making light of it, it's actually a very big deal, and uh, Dave may talk about that. So, great to be with you today. Yeah, glad to have you here. Great to be talking to anyone who does not live in my home. (laughs) (laughs) This is a huge moment for me. (laughs) We're in the the first week of opening in some states, so that is, we'll see how that's going to go. We're in the first couple days of reopening. And who knows if that'll be the topic. We'll always find out when we get there. Yeah. So, It'll be known very soon as outbreak week. The, uh, <laughs> so, Dave, I gave you just that brief intro. Give us a little bit of the Dave story. Yeah, well, the Dave story is kind of what we're going to end up talking about. The Dave story is where the freak factor came from. So I was always in trouble because I couldn't sit still and be quiet and do what I was told <laughs> my whole life growing up. And so... Teachers didn't like me very much. My parents were frustrated with me. Uh, Once I had employers, they were frustrated as well. And I was frustrated. I mean, everyone thought I needed to get better in order to succeed. I needed to fix my weaknesses in order to succeed. I needed to sit still, be quiet, and do what I was told to succeed. I needed to conform to succeed. I needed to stop rebelling to succeed. And then as an, and I believed all those things. I I figured they must know they're adults, right? They must know. Uh, I wasn't one of those people like, I'm going to show you someday I'm going to come back. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be a loser. Okay, well, that, you know, that's unfortunate. But I didn't know there was another side to the story. And again, when it's everyone, right? It wasn't like, it was all the teachers. It was, it was my parents. It was all the adults in my life. Then as an adult, I started just stumbling upon situations where people would ask me to stand up and talk. I stumbled across situations where people would ask me to take charge. I stumbled into my first invitation to be a speaker and and get, get paid to be a speaker, which I didn't know was a profession. And just had a question one day. I was, I, li- I still remember I was in the drive through car wash and I was listening to the book, uh, Now Discover Your Strengths. And to put that in perspective, I have a master's degree in counseling psychology. I have undergraduate degree in psychology. I'd never heard of positive psychology. We didn't even have wow. one paragraph in one section on new ideas. And they weren't even new. I mean, Seligman started this stuff like in the 80s. 
And I went to school, you know, in the late, uh, the early 2000s and the late 90s. So this stuff had been around and I'd never heard of anything like this. And so they're saying, build on your strengths, build on your strengths, build on your strengths, which I'd never heard before. And, and then I had this question that all it was at the time was a question. I wonder if my biggest weakness could also be a strength. I wonder if the worst thing about me is also the best thing about me. At that point, singular, right? Like the fact that I can't be quiet might be <laughs> a good thing. And then it expanded into finding out, yeah, my weaknesses are strengths. I wonder if this is true for other people. And then I'd find these amazing stories. The first one was on ESPN, a guy named Todd Crandall who'd been a drug addict, hit rock bottom, and started doing Ironman triathlons. And they basically said the freak factor on ESPN. They're like, he's still abusing his body. He still goes too far. He's still obsessed. He's still an addict. He's just doing it in a way that serves other people and serves himself instead of damaging his body and, and harming other people. And I'm just feverishly, you know, that was like my first blog post for the freak factor. Mm. And so I, I, I started discovering that other people have weaknesses that are strengths. This isn't just my story. This is everybody's story. So Dave, what is it that drives this desire around conformity? Well, your parents want you to conform because they think the employer wants you to conform. Your parents want you to conform because they think the school wants you to conform. The school wants you to conform and fit in to certain type parameters because they think the businesses need, they're preparing you for the real world. And so everybody has the right intentions, I think, most of the time. We just have a framework that's been passed along by our parents, teachers, and employers that's teaching us the wrong thing, which is that fixing weaknesses is what's going to make us successful. And it turns out that's not, that's not actually true. And so, yeah, so that's Dave, the freak factor. And that's what I'm excited about. Go ahead. Nice. So did, did anybody tell your parents yet? <laughs> so um, a few years ago, I live about two miles from my parents and they live in the house that we used to live in that I now pay for, um, which is fun when I'm unemployed. When I was a kid, they would call me Motor Mouth, right? They would call me Motor Mouth. My, my mom, we had endless car rides in which she would announce at some point that there would be no talking uh, for the rest of the trip. And she would swing wildly trying to make contact with us in the back seat. And then I became a professional speaker and I bought them a house and they don't call me Motor Mouth anymore and tell me to be quiet all the time. <laughs> and... And in fact, did a, I did this speech for this school district in Oklahoma, and it was in this arena, and I was down on the floor, and the people are just thousands of people up, like straight up, like, you know, in basketball seating, you know, we're inside the arena where they play basketball. It's just this wall of people. And so before the session, I took video, and like once the people came in, I took some video, and my mom said, isn't it wonderful that you get to share your gifts with the world? And that was the same woman who was like, you need to shut up or I'm going to murder you. And so <laughs> they do know now. And that's why I said the thing I said about intentions and framework. I'm not in therapy because of my parents. My parents loved me. And my parents were doing what they had been taught to do by their parents, teachers, employers in order to help me. They did. They weren't unloving they had been given a framework of how the world works that they believed was true. And they were acting based on that framework. And leaders do this every single day. If you think people are broken, you're going to try to fix them. Um, if you think weakness fixing is the way to succeed, you're going to be trying to constantly identify those weaknesses. And you're going to be kind of proud of yourself when you find one. And then you're going to feel like you're helping when you tell somebody about their weakness. And you're going to feel productive when you give them incentives for fixing that weakness. All of that is the right intentions, but I try to show people that's the wrong framework. And if you took your right intentions and combined it with the right framework, you'd have a lot more success. So, so Dave, you know now it just took a while. So Dave, let, let, let me create a little bridge here. I think, because I read a lot of books, listen to a lot of stories, and I think a lot of people hear your story and say, that's really cool, but this is unusual because Dave became a public speaker and I don't know how to apply it. So you talk to business audiences all over the world, literally. Yeah. Talk about some examples of how the freak factor in this new framework helps people and teams and leaders execute it and live this yeah. different approach. Well, let me, so yeah, it's easy to say, well, Dave, that's kind of a, 
that's a that's a weak weakness, right? That's a slight problem. However, it's not. You know, millions of kids every year are diagnosed with ADHD. They're given medication. Their behavior is pathologized. Their self-esteem takes a huge hit. They're medicated in a way that fixes them, which just sort of dulls their senses. So it's not a mild one. But let's use a disability everybody's familiar with and then tie in kind of a business example. So there's a guy named Thorkill Son, and he lives in Denmark, and he works in the software industry, and his son is born with autism. And he notices that two of the symptoms of autism are hyperfocus and doing the same thing over and over again. When you send your kid to autism to therapy, they're going to try to fix the hyperfocus and stop them from doing the same thing over and over again because that's not normal. And the goal of most therapies is to make someone more normal. But Thorkill Son goes to work and he sees that in software testing, they need employees who have hyperfocus and can yeah. do the same thing over and over again. So not only does he not try to fix his son's weakness, he sees an opportunity to help his son find the right fit. And he doesn't, he can't find the right fit. No one's hiring. Uh, people with autism are historically underemployed, just like people with most disabilities. And so he starts a company called Specialist Stern. It means the specialists in Danish. And they only do software testing and they only hire people with autism. And they've mm -hmm. hired more than 50 people with autism. And they've been so successful that now SAP, the global software company, is seeking out hundreds of people with autism mm -hmm. from all over the world. So to answer your question, like, and you're exactly right. And that's why I give other examples. Like when I do this talk, I start with mine, but I'm like, if this is just my story, it's not useful for people, right? And so that's a pretty mild weakness, Dave. You couldn't, couldn't sit still. And so Thorkill Son builds a business, not a nonprofit, not a charity. This isn't like, yeah, we, you know, we get support from caring, you know, no, this is a for-profit business that's been so successful that another massive multinational corporation, it, it, think about it, is putting ads online and on career sites saying, do you have a disability? If so, we'd love to have you come work for us. And if you don't have that disability, quite frankly, we're not interested hmm. for this position. And so that's one of the huge implications for leaders. First of all, real disabilities, real weaknesses have real strengths. And in some cases, the more extreme, uh, uh, Peter Drucker said, strong people always have strong weaknesses too, where there are peaks, there are valleys. So sometimes the deeper the potential valley, the higher the potential peak, and yet we miss out on those people. So one of the huge implications for leaders is where are you looking for people? And the answer is where everyone else is looking for people. And so you're missing out on some of the best people and you're also all going after the same people. And so you're missing out on people who have the potential to not just be a little bit better than the people you have, but to be a quantum leap. Those people with autism went from having a disadvantage, a disability to having a competitive advantage because they found the right fit. And so I think that's the other lessons for leaders, not only look for the right people in, different, in the wrong places, in different places, but also the power of finding the right fit. So when you have your existing employees, one of the questions you always have to ask yourself is, could I transform Craig's weakness into a strength? Could I transform Jeff's weakness into a strength if I just put him in a different spot? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Craig is doing a bad job there, right. but is Craig a bad person? Craig is struggling there, mm -hmm. but is Craig... So usually we think the person is the problem when oftentimes it's a place. We think who they are is the problem when it's where they are is the problem. That's a huge leadership lesson is that most of the time, again, six years of psychology education, people don't change that much. That's the summary. Save yourself six years. People don't change that much. So if you're a leader, you can change Craig's job description yeah. in a moment. Right. You can't change Craig's personality, his preferences, his interests his passions, even his abilities through deep training. It's going to take a while. And he probably doesn't want to learn those things, which is why he hasn't. It's not a training problem. It's a motivation problem. You can change his situation like that. You can change the place like that. You can change where he is like that and maybe see a massive transformation. I think that's another lesson for leaders. We're too often focused on self-improvement when we should be focused on situational improvement, situational change. I think that's a great point, Dave. I think what we look at 
as far as some of the conversations Jeff and I've had is as long as the person has a great fit with the culture of the organization, as far as they are in with the purpose, they're in with what the company is about, ready to make that vision come about. But you're right. If there's not that fit in that role, there are oftentimes other roles that could be a better fit. So if you find the right person from a cultural fit, put them in the right spot and let them shine. Yeah. Yeah, because just because I'm a cultural fit doesn't mean I'm good at the job. It means I'm Absolutely. a good person or it means I'm a nice person or it means, yeah. right, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody you can get along with or somebody who agrees with you. But, you know, it's like I talk about American Idol. Those people are all passionate about music. They value music and entertainment, but some of them are terrible, right? Mm-hmm. And so their passion doesn't make up for that. Their values don't make up for that. You have to find the right fit. Absolutely. So, Dave, do most people struggle with identifying their weakness or finding the, the <laughs> or finding the path from the weakness to the strength? I think most people don't struggle finding the weakness. But people <laughs> love to tell us. No, I don't think the first problem is what's wrong with me. I, and it's the reason I designed the assessment where I show people how their weaknesses and strengths are connected. I think the most common question I would get after the speech when I started doing it was, what's good about this bad thing about me? Right? Someone would come up at the end uh, or what's good about this bad thing about fill in the blank, my spouse. Like, I'm ready to believe this, but my kid is really messed up. I'm ready to believe this, but my wife is really driving me insane. I'm ready to believe this, but this employee is a real lunatic, you know? And so they would just fire this thing at me and I could usually respond pretty well, but I needed a structured way to do that. So I have an assessment that's free on my website and you just pick your strength from a list of 52, your, your top five strengths, you pick your weaknesses from a list of 52. And then on the last page, it shows you how they're connected. So for example, somebody on page one says, I'm persistent. That's one of my top five strengths. They go to page two independently and go, nah, I'm stubborn. That's one of my weaknesses. And then they go to page three and it goes, yeah, because persistence is sticking with something longer than most people think is reasonable which is the exact definition of stubbornness. And so there's no way for Craig to be more persistent next year without being more stubborn. There's no way for those things to both happen. And yet StrengthsFinder says build on your strengths. And if someone's trying to do that, they're still going to be getting all this negative feedback. So I try to show them how that's two sides of the same coin. That's, I think, the toughest thing to bridge. And that's why I created that tool. And it's in the book as well. And I created a version for kids as well, which is also in the book. And then I wrote a separate kids book. Because even when I would do this for leaders, and that's your audience, for executives, for managers, and I do one called the Freak Factory, where we just focus on how do you get the best out of your employees based on this? And how do you build your organization this way? The number one question afterwards is, I got this kid with autism. I got this kid with ADHD. I got this kid with fill in the blank. You know, I got this kid with dyslexia. I got this kid who's getting bullied. And so even when the conference was ostensibly to help these people with their businesses, what they really wanted was to help their kids and to help their families. And so, yeah, I think to answer your question, that's the biggest gap is, okay, that sounds great. But again, I don't have Dave's particular set of strengths and weaknesses. I didn't have dyslexia, which he described. I don't have autism, which he talks about in the talk. I don't have ADHD like Michael Phelps. I'm open to the idea, but how could it possibly be good that I fill in the blank? And and, then same thing with people's teams. And so that tool is something leaders can use with their teams. It's something they can use with their employees, something they can use with their spouses to answer that question. What's good about this bad thing? And again, every, every weakness is right next to its corresponding strength. I tell people, you don't even have to use the assessment. Just use the last page. And the next time somebody pisses you off, just find the weakness out of the 52 and then just look across and be like, oh, there it is. So Dave, what I'm hearing is, and this doesn't surprise me, I think most people are open to recognizing that whatever their strength is, it's got a weakness. And I think you've said it on stage before. I know I've heard it from you. You basically, if you overplay that strength, it's sort of like a circle. It becomes the weakness what I'm hearing you say is people struggle going the other direction. I've got oh, yeah. this people weakness. Love to tell I don't know you. how to find the strength in it. Yeah. Well, and that's what's so funny is that, that, that one of the reasons I can make a living at this is because I'm saying something that nobody else is saying, but kind of other people do say it. They just only say it in the negative, which proves the point. People love to tell you 
oh, yeah, Jeff, you know, your strength is your confidence. But if you're not careful and you overplay, I mean, I love the way you said it, you overdo it. It's going to be the name of the assessment we're developing online. We're going to turn the assessment that you see on the website there into an online tool to, to compete with DISC and with StrengthsFinder. Not, not in the sense that, you know, there'll be real competition at the beginning, but just in the sense that it's the same kind of tool that we're creating. And we're going to call it Amplify. One of the steps of the framework in the Freak Factor is amplification. My message is that's absolutely false. Turn up the volume. People love to tell you, oh, you know, Jeff, I love your intensity, but if you could just dial it back a little bit. Oh, Frank, I love it that you're so organized, but if you could just dial it back a little bit, it sounds so reasonable, right? Be you, Jeff, just not as much, right? <laughs> be you, Craig, but just, you know, be reasonable. And so we believe as leaders and we believe for others, there's this just right amount, Goldilocks and all this kind of stuff, and so I spend a lot of time in the book and in my talks convincing people that the actual solution is not to just tweak it down a little bit, it's to crank it all the way up. Uh, and so isn't it instructive, going back to your original question, do people struggle to know their weaknesses? No, because people love to even turn your strengths around on you, right, and tell you to be cautious. So that's the other reason why people don't follow the strengths finder model is because people are always reminding us that our strengths could be weaknesses if, if we overplay them. And so I tell people, no, 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 turn it up. And that goes back to what we already talked about, which is alignment. You have to find the right fit. So when you found the right fit, the people around you will not just want, they will demand more of what you already had instead of less. So two quick examples. Um, for me, uh, during quarantine, I ran my first 100 mile race took me 30 hours, 31 hours and 19 minutes, including breaks. And that's because they canceled my 100-mile race that I was signed up to do in the Outer Banks. I've done Ironman triathlons and gotten a lot of praise from other people for that. People tell me that's inspiring and you help me lose weight. You help me take on challenges. And oh my gosh, Dave, how do you swim 2.4 miles and bike 112 miles and then run 26.2 miles? It's unalloyed phrase for being very, very, very active. But my whole <laughs> life, I was very, very, very active. When I was a kid and I was very, very, very active, what are they called? They called it hyperactive. They pathologized it as ADHD. They wanted to give me medicine to fix me and make me better. So my whole life, I got criticized and punished for something. This is crucial. And then I amplified it instead of moderating it, I turned the volume up instead of turning the volume down. And then people said, oh, that's amazing. Nice job. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave, so, would you say, yeah. I know you have another story to tell, but I, I'm just wondering, do you think if we call it the system, you know, the system is, it's the way that schools are run, the way that businesses run. And of course, we, we look at the archaic system of schooling in preparation for getting a job. You know, yeah. that's, that's one thing, you know, versus yeah. creating people who, who can think for themselves. But when you think about the system and people fitting in, how much does the freak factor fall in line with that? Or how much does it buck against that system? And for those people who are wanting to have crazy, awesome companies, how much do they embrace the freak factor yeah, and yeah. push out the system? Yeah, so one of the quotes in the book is um, that deviance will always generate external pressures to conform. Yeah. If you perform beyond the norms, the systems will adjust and try to make you normal, right? And that's, and it used your Who word, right? To be it, normal. Right, deviance <laughs> will always generate external pressures to conform. If you perform beyond the norms, the systems, that goes to your point, right? The capitalist system, the educational system, the mm -hmm. government systems, the whatever, fill in the blank. It's not always individual people. I mean, I can go to schools and have people give me a standing ovation and tell me it's the best teacher uh, education day they've had in 30 years, and yet look at a school system yeah. that is not prepared to allow people to live out their freak fact, right? And that's actually a significant barrier. But that doesn't mean that all the people in that system subscribe to that theory. It's just yeah. the structure exists without any particular individual perpetrating it every single day, right? 
And so, yeah, I, I think it's the extent to which people believe that their business can be successful within the existing system. Do you think that fixing your employees' weaknesses, acting like all of the other companies, following the benchmarks, following the industry standards, following the industry leaders, but just trying to be a little bit better, signing up for the next ISO certification or signing up for the next whatever, <laughs> do you think that's what's going to put you over the top? Or do you think some kind of divergence is in fact necessary? And if you're Absolutely. doing great and your company's doing great and your people are doing great, then keep doing what you're doing. That isn't my experience though. My experience yeah. is that people are frustrated every day by their people. They're frustrated every day by their strategy or lack thereof. They're frustrated by their inability to separate from their competition. And the only way they try to deal with it is by doing more of the same thing, not ever asking. Maybe it's not because I'm doing it wrong. Maybe it's because I'm doing the wrong thing. It's not because I've been ineffective at implementing these concepts. It's because the concepts themselves are flawed and I should be doing something else. And so I think that's the lie. I mean, you said it. What's the value of being normal? I think the bigger lie is that normal exists somewhere. I think that's the real lie. No, <laughs> right. I, I think it is. I think it is. I think normal is not an individual statistic, right? I think normal is a range. And once you get outside that range, then you're freaky. Yeah, but even, okay, so let's talk about the normal range, though. I've read a couple books recently. One's called The End of Average, and the other one's called Normal Sucks. And they both told the same story. And the story is that there's um, this competition they did back in the early 1900s or maybe the late 1800s, and they measured 2,300 or something ladies' bodies to come up with the norm, right, the range. But they came up with the average, average hips, average waist, average shoulders, average height, average weight, average everything. Then they had a contest to find one person who best <laughs> met the average. And there was no one, not a single individual that could be identified in America at the time. And so a normal person would be the weirdest person you would ever meet. The lie is that I'm a normal person. I just have kind of a normal business. Our clients are pretty normal. I mean, I don't think we need to get anything weird. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. Who, who are those normal people? What is it that they do and don't want? And I think so many people want to see themselves as normal because normal is good, therefore different is bad. So one of the questions in my book is what makes you rare? Because I'm trying to push people to imagine that they aren't as normal as they think they are because their question most of the time is, can I find some ways to support the fact that I'm normal instead of, are there any things about me that are weird? I'll give you just one stupid one for me. My second toe is longer than my first toe on both feet. It's called me Morton's too. toe. It only, yeah, it only happens in like 22% of the population. And so here's one small way that society doesn't make sense. I grew up in the 80s when you would still go to a professional shoe salesman and put your foot in that metal measuring tool and they would slide the little thing back to which toe? Your big one, which wasn't your longest one, it was your fattest one. And then they would tell you your shoe size, then they would put a shoe on your foot and they would push down by your big toe, which wasn't your longest one, it was your fattest one. And then they would tell you your shoe fit when in fact it felt terrible. But what were you supposed to do? They're a professional. I just figured everybody had toes like that and this is the way the world worked. And then as an adult, I started seeing other people's feet only at appropriate times and in appropriate places. But I, started, I was like, holy crap, that's not a normal thing. There's a million things. So even if you just take one of those things, what's, 
What's a normal arm length? What's a normal torso length? When they sell us clothes, oh, you're tall, so you must have long pants. No, some people are tall with gigantic torsos and short legs. They wear a normal leg Michael size. Phelps. I have to, yeah, I have to buy my pants off the internet because I'm a 36 length, and that's just not a normal thing. Right. Um, and How about so, sleeve so, length? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know all three of yeah. us are having issues with that. Well, and, and the way they sell men's shirts is the necks get bigger as the arms get longer. And so I'm tall and skinny, so I have yep. to buy my shirts at special places. Um, so again, there's no such thing as normal. There's no per that person who buys the normal shirt has to buy some pants, but has to get them adjusted because their waist is too big in comparison yep. to that particular length. On and on and on it goes. There's and even that person who has the normal body size, then they don't have the normal job. And if they have the normal job, they don't have sure. the normal family. And if they have the normal family, they don't live in a normal place. There's no way to put together the hundreds of factors that would go into normal. And so that's, I think, one of the biggest myths. Dave, I just want normal employees. Normal employees suck. If you really yeah. look at the actual numbers, <laughs> yes. the normal employee doesn't care very much, doesn't try very hard. That's why The Office was so popular. When people watch the show, The Office, they go, uh, yeah, that's kind of like where I work. Couldn't stand Unmotivated, it. uninterested, frustrated, depressed. Yeah. That looks about right. If you want normal, there it is. And that's another argument that I would make is not only is normal not good and different isn't bad, different is good. And even if there was a normal, let's imagine there is for a moment, it's not better. The normal person doesn't read any books each year. The normal person doesn't pursue their education. The normal person isn't passionate about their job. The normal person isn't healthy. If you look at the ranges, if you look at the averages, the norm isn't to do a lot of really good things. Those people are exceptions. Um, and well, that feels good to be other, abnormal. That's one of my other favorite quotes from the book as well. Excellence is a form of deviance. Uh, in order to achieve and maintain excellence, you have to deviate from the norm. You become excellent because you're doing things that normal people do not want to do. Yeah. Not that normal people can't do, right. but that normal people do not want to do often because Deviance will always generate external pressures to conform. I don't want to experience those pressures. Therefore, I will do the normal thing. I won't do the exceptional thing. And so I use that with parents. You know, I ask them, do you want your kids to get a four-year college degree? And almost everybody raises their hand. And I say, "Why?" oh, is that? But oh, here's the question, though. Is that normal? And they'll go, yeah, it's totally normal. Everybody wants it. 25% of people have a college education. 25% of people hmm. over the age of 25 have a four-year college degree. It is not normal. The normal thing, if you're talking about averages, 75%, the vast majority of adults in America do not have a four-year college degree. That's the <laughs> normal thing. So you want your kid to be a weirdo, and yet you think of it as the most normal thing that you could possibly do. And then going to your question, uh, just because it feels like the thing to do seems like the thing that most people do. And here's the interesting thing. Most people go to college, they just don't finish, right? So the most more normal thing to do is to go to college and drop out and then have a bunch of loans that you, don't, you can't pay back. And, and even if you do finish, you may not be able to pay them back. So that's exactly what I want people to do is challenge just because it's normal, just because everybody does it, just because it seems like the way, is that really right? And that's how I ended up wearing all sorts of pink and and having pinks that don't match is sooner or later, you just start to question everything. And once you do, you find out there's very few answers behind it. Wow. Well, okay. You said, you said a lot there, Dave, and my big takeaway from it, I don't know if you said exactly this is that at least in this country, maybe around the world, you've spoken around the world, virtually every institution, every one of them has been culturized to believe that the pursuit is for normal. And I would say most people don't even know that's what they're pursuing. They don't wake up yeah. and say, I want a normal business, but that's what they're creating because like you said, the deviance creates the external pressure to conform. Every one of the institutions you talked about, business, uh, education, relationships, family, children, all of them, it's in the water. It's yeah, we've got to become normal, but I don't know because if you went to most leaders and said, do you want your business to be normal? They'd say, absolutely not. Yet that's what they're creating. I don't think they realize that's what they're, they're pursuing. 
Yeah, because if you ask the question a different way, do you want to be a deviant? They'd say no. Do you want your <laughs> company to be a deviant? They'd say no. That's a loaded the way I, word. The way I get people to, to understand they absolutely unquestioningly believe in normal is I ask them to remember having their first child if they had one and to remember their first 20 trips to the pediatrician after they had their newborn. And the question that every new parent asks every pediatrician after their baby born is, is this normal? Is this normal? Is this normal? Is this normal? My kid does this. Is that normal? My kid doesn't do this yet. Is mm, that normal? Wow. Every time the doctor says, yes, that's normal, their anxiety level goes from here to here because normal is good and deviance is bad. And yet we want our kids to be excellent. We just don't want them to be weird about it. But you can't be excellent without being weird because that's even what the word <laughs> exceptional means. Wow. The word That's exceptional a- means to be weird. It means to be deviant. It means to be separate. And you can't be the best soccer player in your high school and be a normal kid. You can't be the valedictorian and be a normal kid. You can't be the, the most ripped kid in your high school and be a normal kid. You can't be the debate champion and be a normal kid. And so we think we want our kids to be normal. And yet what we really want is for them to be deviants and and we don't realize the conflict. And so we spend our lives whipsawing ourselves and others back and forth between these two desires without even recognizing that's what we're doing. And we have, I mean, let's give society a little bit of credit. You know, at least Bill Gates is famous for the quote, be nice to geeks because you'll end up working for one. (laughs) There's television shows where the nerds are the good ones, Big Bang Theory. And we learn to understand people who are different. There is at least on the fringes, still not baked into the systems, but there still is at least a message in our entertainment and in other things that weirdness can be valuable, that we should celebrate unique individuals, that we should acknowledge that that diversity is valuable. It just hasn't pervaded our politics look at our look at you know forget which side of the coin you're on for the upcoming election it doesn't matter they're both 70 year old white guys um and so there's no there's no diversity uh really coming in there we're not we're not looking for weird we're looking for the same old thing we could have had either one of them you know 35 years ago they could have been they could have been up for election then i think there are parents who believe this there are teachers who believe this there are people individuals who figured it out for themselves. Uh, There are businesses that run this way. It's just, again, it's unusual to do things in an unusual way. It's not the norm yet. It's not the norm yet to allow people to be weird. So Dave, maybe this is how we can wrap this up. And we said at the outset, we're in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah. And the phrase that we're all hearing almost every day is, this is the new normal. What's (laughs) the new normal? So my question is, you know, putting on your prognosticator's hat, What do you think happens as we go forward and come out of this in terms of how people see normal? And does this this pandemic actually have an impact in some of the infrastructure and the systems you're talking about? No, it doesn't. You know, nobody, nobody's, nobody's questioning the value of education. They're just saying we have to do it online, but they're not changing the fundamental goals of education. No one's, this doesn't go to the foundations. People don't question the foundations in times like that. I mean, I'm not going to get too into it because people really have issues with this, but I mean, this goes to our fundamental philosophies about the value of of personal safety, about security. We've shut everything down so people don't get sick. I've purposefully gone and done speeches in places like Nigeria, which is incredibly dangerous to your health and incredibly dangerous to your personal safety. I've spoken in places like Pakistan and had somebody in my car with an AK-47 because that's what the person driving the car thought we needed for security and safety. So I don't think that safety and security is the number one and everything else comes after that. And so we're not questioning things like that right now. And when certain people do question it, we marginalize them and act as though uh, they're lunatics. And so I don't think we're ready to question the fundamental beliefs that our society is built on um, right now. If anything, I think it actually does the reverse. uh, I just saw an article today that some people argue that the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918 really opened the doors for the extremism of, for example, the Nazis, that 
societies, um, and I'm reading in a book right now called Weird, that societies that have to fight for survival begin to value conformity more than societies that don't. Uh, look, at, look at just the demands right now to, for you to stay at home and for you to wear a mask. The push is for conform, conform, conform. And if you have questions, you're wrong and you're marginalized because the fear is so high that, and the potential danger is so high that we don't have time for your questions. You just need to obey. And, and, and authoritarian governments are taking advantage of this in other parts of the world and they're using it as a cover to abuse people. I mean, my assistant is in the Philippines and their president has already gone on television and said, I gave people permission to shoot you if you're outside of your house. Uh, and that's only because I care about your safety, right? So mm. I know I don't, if anything, I think this could take us in the opposite direction where people say, see, follow the rules, do what you're told, listen to the people above you, listen to authorities, listen to experts, listen to the government, listen to your elders, whatever that happens to be, and you'll be safe. And it's unsafe to have people who are too individualistic. And that's one of the big messages of the freak factor is can you not just accept, but appreciate yeah. someone who isn't just different from you, but is the absolute total opposite and who can compliment you to really do some amazing things. Well, a lot of our problems have been created by people who are in the wrong spot, people who want to make the energy yeah. sector super innovative and technical when, in fact, you know, you're kind of selling the same thing over and over in pretty stable ways. Yeah. Look at Enron. Uh, creativity isn't the number one uh, quality in an accountant you necessarily want because a lot of it, like you said, doesn't change or they don't have control over the way it does change. It is a responsive kind of profession. It isn't an active, creative kind of profession in most parts of it. Yeah. I have a new word for you. I never realized what a deviant you were. I love that. <laughs> now, deviant has, has a lot of uh, baggage with that. So, yeah. <laughs> well, That's why Craig I use knows, it, because I wanted to get people's attention. Yeah. That's right. Well, as Craig knows, I'm a movie guy. So, whenever I think about normal, I always flash back to young Frankenstein. <laughs> and I always say, no, I want to be normal. Abby normal. <laughs> I want to be Abby normal. That's right. Dave, it's been awesome to have you with us. I knew that you would challenge my thinking and certainly everyone else's. Yep. And I love your perspectives. And I've, I've never really thought about how deeply ingrained the pursuit of normal was mm. in our culture. And that's my big takeaway today. And to think about how do I make sure I constantly resist the temptation to go towards normal? I'm usually doing it unconsciously. I don't even know yeah. I'm doing it. So that's one of my big takeaways. Dave, how, tell us what's going on for you. What do you want everybody to know in terms of anything particular to promote that's going on for you right now? Well, I just think it's funny to hear you use the word takeaway while you're sitting in a car. So I think that's <laughs> fun. I think it brings a new, it brings a new image to my, to my mind that we're doing a takeaway. Uh, the new things that I'm up to are, uh, the big one is, is what I said earlier, we're creating an, uh, with one of my partners, and we're actually working with a company called the Disability, a nonprofit called the Disability Network up in Michigan, and a software company up there to create Amplify, which turns this idea that weaknesses are strengths into a, an online assessment that people can take, they can get a report to show them how to, how to amplify, how to align, how to affiliate how to accept and appreciate those qualities that mm. companies can use that with their employees. That's the huge project I'm trying to work on uh, in quarantine during lockdown. The other big one is, is my freak factor stuff. Last year, before I knew that we were all going to be locked down, I created davidrendell.store, which is the freak factory store where people can buy freak shirts and, and uh, freak mugs. Um, so things that say like, for example, I'm not creative, I'm messy, or I'm sorry, reverse that. I'm not messy, I'm creative. Because that was one of the things that Craig was talking about earlier, finding clothes that fit. So since I couldn't find clothes that fit, um, I just made my own. So I have, you know, shirt that says freak on it and the word's upside down and people like it and they want one for themselves. And I have a broken left arm that doesn't work and I tell people I'm a T-Rex. You can see my little T-Rex in the background here. <laughs> so I put a T-Rex on a shirt and... Um, in my speeches, I say that what makes us weird also makes us wonderful. What makes us weak also makes us strong. So I have shirts that say weird and wonderful. We even have them for babies. Um, so those two projects are the biggest ones I've been working on right now. The, the Amplify assessment um, to show people how their weaknesses or strengths and what they can do about it. And then the davidrendell.store. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I just uh, had somebody from my TEDx talk in Zurich 
last year, bought one of the freak shirts so he can wear it. He was the MC. He wants to wear it this year at the, at the conference. So even selling things on the other side of the world. So I can't go and speak, but uh, if you want to be a little bit weird and uh, brag about it, you can buy a, buy a t-shirt, buy a sweatshirt, buy some socks and uh, be a little weirder. I heard this website for the store. What's your website for people? Oh, to find so my you? rental is my, my website is drendel.com. So D R E N D A L L.com drendel.com. Or if you just search for freak factor or David Rendell, um, I'm the, I'm on the first page of Google results for both. Things. Awesome. So we always finish our podcast interviews with a couple of questions. We call them signature questions. And one of the questions for you, Dave, is I know you're a reader. You mentioned several books during the interview. I read a lot as well. Yeah. What's the one book that comes to mind for you for a leader who wants to just go out and have more impact? Yeah, I mean, I said it earlier. I mean, besides my books, obviously, you should read all of those. But the, the one that, that changed the way I looked at everything else was now Discover Your Strengths. You know, uh, finding what's working instead of what's broken. I mean, there's so many parts of that. There's so many pieces to that. You can do that with your organization. You can do that with your people. The mindset that I wonder what's working and how can I build on that? I wonder what's, what's good and how can I grow that instead of I wonder what's wrong and how can I fix that? It's just a major, it's, it's, it's a classic paradigm shift um, in, in, in the truest sense of the word. And it, it goes against most of what we're, we're taught. And so when I read that for the first time, it didn't just give me some new information. It changed the lens through which I saw everything after that point. Um, and so if you haven't been exposed to that mindset, if you haven't heard of positive psychology, or even if you have, if you haven't heard about the strengths revolution, I think it's a complete, and it's surprising to me how long it's been around and how many people still haven't heard of it. It's, it's a book that'll change the way you do even, like I said, even the way you run your organization, there's a concept called appreciative inquiry. That again, instead of doing the classic review of your business, you ask what's working and, and how do we build on it? What's, who's doing a great job and how do we get more people like that? Go into Craig's point, you know, find the people who are crushing it and, and what, find out what they look like. And oftentimes it's not what you thought a good employee looked like. So reproduce your best people, reproduce your best ideas, reproduce your best products. But oftentimes we're so busy in this fix what's wrong mode that we miss out on the chance to build on the better. Who still is a customer, even when you've lost a bunch? And why did they stick with you? And what is it about them? How do you get more of those people instead of thinking, oh, if we just chase down these people who are unhappy, maybe we could find a way to turn them around. So it's a fundamental way of looking at the world that really just opened up a whole new world for me. And, and my personal success and correlation isn't causation, but my personal success is, and my happiness and my fulfillment has done nothing but go up since I was exposed to that idea of maybe let's build on what's working instead of trying to fix what isn't. Love it. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Well, I got my shirt. <laughs> All right, Craig, look at that. Getting things. So that's multitasking that I can support right. and believe in right there. <laughs> so Dave, the final question is you've shared a lot of wisdom already today. It's what you do. It's who you are. We always ask our guests, is there one piece of wisdom that super, super golden or platinum nugget you would share with leaders to help them just be more impactful in whatever they're doing? I close all my speeches with this and it's, it, I, and I start the book with it and I haven't found anything better in the 10 years that I, I, you know, 10 years ago I wrote the book and I haven't found a better way to say it. It's a quote from E.E. E. Cummings. He said, we do not believe in ourselves until someone reveals that deep inside of us something is valuable, worth listening to, worthy of our trust, sacred to our touch. And I think that's the business of leadership. It's to be a person who yeah. reveals to other people that deep inside of them, so deep that they can't see it oftentimes, that the people mm -hmm. who love them and are around them haven't seen it. And maybe you didn't even see it originally, that deep inside of them, something is valuable. Maybe the thing that other people think was the most worthless thing about them, that deep inside of them is something valuable, worth listening to, worthy of our trust, sacred to our touch. When I wrote the kid's book, a woman bought it for her son named Leo and took it home and he, he read it and he had ADHD. And so she wanted him to know that it was okay to be unusual. And he wrote me a little piece of note on a torn piece of legal pad paper, a little yellow piece of paper that I still have. And it said, thank you, Mr. Rendell for the book. It made me feel better about who I am mm. because I was the first person who told Leo 
He was 10 years old. The deep inside of him, something was valuable. The very thing that everyone had told him, his ADHD, was the most worthless thing about him. That it wasn't worthless, that it was worth listening to, worthy of our trust, sacred to our touch. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And I think that's the job of leaders. Um, Mark Sanborn, I think, in one of his books uh, said, leadership is an invitation to greatness, not mine, not my greatness, but your greatness, right? That, that it's inviting people to become great. And I think too often it's easy. My job used to be to help people with disabilities to get jobs. And so many people, all they would do in that work is focus on how disabled the person was, as though that was some kind of genius for them to see the weakness and disability in a person who'd been categorized as disabled. And I realized that our job was to find what did the person like and what are they good at? Find the value where no one else is finding value. And I think that's what good leaders do. That's what great leaders do. They don't just find obvious, but anybody can pick gold up off the ground, right? When they see it, it's seeing it where no one else see it, looking for it where no one else looks for it and, and revealing it to people when no one else um, is revealing it to that person. I think that's real leadership. Wow. That really touched me, Dave, because that's how I look at the world. And I think, like I've told Craig before in my coaching I think one of my gifts is I see the parts of themselves that no one else has ever seen, including them. And I yeah. help them to see it so they can connect to it and trust it. And yeah. that's my work. That's yeah. my work. Thanks for the mission that you're living already. Yes. I know you, you're a funny guy and you make, you make fun of yourself, but you're a guy that's making a difference in the world as a leader on stage, as a coach, as an author, you're touching people's lives. I'm grateful that you're part of this world and part of making a difference. Thanks for, thanks being, for being a deviant, Dave. Yeah, thanks, thanks for giving for me a chance a to talk to somebody outside of my household. I really, uh, <laughs> this is a huge, huge moment for me. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.